Um, it's a privilege once again to be. Uh, I think I'm just going to. That's better. It's a privilege once again to be here and the uh, privilege to open the Word of God. I thought that since we're going to have a baptism today, it behooves us a little bit to have a look at baptism. I mean, you know, for some of you, this might be the first time you've seen an adult baptism. Okay? You're going to be wondering what's going on here. So I thought we'll have a bit of a look at it and perhaps we can understand it. But usually, you know, you, you have a preacher telling you why you should get baptised. Well, we're going to be having a look at a passage here and I'm going to be telling you why you shouldn't get baptised. Why you shouldn't get baptised. Okay? Before we go into it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now ask you might open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Teach us, instruct us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 8. Book of Acts, chapter 8. And we'll start at verse 26. Acts 8, 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia... An eunuch of great authority under Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and, saying, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a, sh as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Asterath, and passing through, preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay. We're going to be looking mainly at the question that the eunuch asked. The verse, 20, verse 36, and he said, What doth hinder me to be baptized? Or, Why shouldn't I be baptized? 
and we're going to look at why, he, why people shouldn't be baptised. Okay? So, look, there are lots of things in this story. This is a great, really, it's a tremendous story and, and it, there's so much in here. For instance, the relationship between Ethiopia and Israel. He was, he was the state treasurer of Ethiopia. If you like, Ethiopia's Joe Hocking has left his country and gone to worship in, 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 in Israel. That's, a, that's an unusual sort of thing. Um, do you know you know the uh, relationship between Israel and Ethiopia? You know how far back it goes. First Kings chapter ten has the story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba being Ethiopia, who came to Jerusalem and brought great spices and precious stones. And at the end of it, it said. And in First uh, Kings ten uh, and verse thirteen, for instance, and King Solomon gave unto the Queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, besides that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. And she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And uh, according to the uh, Ethiopian royal family, she carried back a bit more than treasure and gold. For they say that she was in fact pregnant to Solomon and that the Ethiopian royal family, right up until Emperor Haile Selassie, traced their ancestry back to the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon. Yeah, there's a strong relationship between Israel and Ethiopia. In 1948, black Jews from Ethiopia migrated to Israel. Yeah, so... That's something that's in this story, a, 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 a relationship between two very different countries, but joined together in the worship of God. For the scholars amongst us, you, you, you fancy yourself as a bit of a biblical scholar, I've got something here for you. You'll notice where in verse 30 of, of uh, Acts chapter 8, um, Philip ran thither to him and, and he read the prophet Isaiah and he said, Understand thou what thou readest? This is called a statement implied in a question. <coughs> what he, he, he says, the literal thing is, uh, understand what you're reading. But what he's implying in this question is, you don't understand what you're reading, do you? It's a statement implied in a question. And there's another one which you'll find right across from there in chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 5, when Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? In the statement implied in the question is not, Who art thou, Lord? But, That's God, you. That's, that's you, that's God, isn't it? It's a statement implied in a question. Uh, so there's, if you want to have that, there's, there's something for the scholars to, to have a look through in here. Um... For, for those, you like word studies? Yeah, guys love word studies? This is the only passage in the entire New Testament where the word chariot is used. 
It's used three times and, and it's the only place in the entire New Testament the word chariot is used. What does that mean? I have no idea. But if you want to go and look at it, feel free. So there's something in this passage for everybody. Okay, You can find stuff that's really interesting in here. But we are going to be looking at this question, what hinders me to be baptised? Or to put it another way, why you should not be baptised. As I said, most preachers will tell you why you should be baptised. But I'm going to say there are times when being baptised is a bad idea. It's a bad idea and you shouldn't do it. So, let's have a look at this situation. As we've said, the Ethiopian version of Joe Hockey is travelling back to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. You might, hang on, why is he going down to Gaza? He's actually, you know, not headed towards Ethiopia at all. Well, in fact, what he would be doing, he'd be going all the way down to the Red Sea and he'll pick up a boat and travel around by then. That's the way he was doing it. Okay? And he was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. You ever seen the, the, the pictures of this that when you do it in Sunday school? You know, it's usually just a two-person per, two figure. There's the, the Ethiopian guy and there's Philip. And they're in this little wicker chariot with the two horses and the little sunshade thing. Now, you know, I don't think it was like that. I don't think that the Ethiopian drove his own chariot any more than Joe Hockey drives his own car or that someone else flies her own helicopter. You know, you just don't do that when you're in that sort of position. So this was more likely a, a quite a procession. The, the, uh, the treasurer does not go about, even today, without a security detail. No more would this man have. He would have had soldiers guarding him, professional Ethiopian soldiers, making sure he got to Jerusalem and home again safely. So they're going along, and I think this might have been a little bit bigger than your little wicker chariot thing. Because it's really hard to read standing up in a bouncy chariot. So I think we're more looking at, at something a little bit more substantial, a little bit, a little bit more salubrious. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. The reading of all the books he could be reading, of all the sections of the Old Testament he could be reading, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Something interesting about the prophet Isaiah and the book of the prophet. Our Lord quoted from many books in the Bible. The only book we have recorded that he ever read out of is the book of the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth. The only book that he ever read publicly that we have on record is this book, the book of the prophet Isaiah. Interesting. 
so. The Spirit said unto Philip, Guys, be attentive when the Spirit tells you to do something. There's, there's a reason for it. When God taps you on the shoulder and says, Go over and talk to that guy. There's a reason for it. Because the Spirit's work has already been done getting him ready and he's just waiting for you, so to speak, to close the deal. So, he goes over there and Philip ran to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said to him, as we said, understand what thou readest, but what he implied was, you don't know what that means, do you? And the Ethiopian said, well, no, I don't. I don't. Now, it said this man had been to Jerusalem for to worship. <coughs> the only problem that he has is this man would have been limited in how he could worship in Jerusalem. You realise that? He would have been limited as how he could have worshipped in Jerusalem. Because he was evidently not Jewish and a eunuch, he would have been only able to access as far to the, the, uh, the, the temple as what would be called the court of the Gentiles. He would not have been able to go into the full area. He was forbidden from that. So he'd been worshipping, but not quite as he really wanted to. He was limited. But he'd been there enough, <coughs> and he had heard... Thank you. He had heard the rabbis speaking and the teaching that had been done. And so he knew, he knew much about the word of God. He knew much about the truth of God. But he hadn't quite got it all figured out. And he came to this passage in Isaiah. And let's have a look at it. It's in Isaiah Chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53, and this is what he reads, Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. For, but he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and, he op and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. 
and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, he reads this, and he asks a question of Philip. A, a, a good question, actually. He says to Philip, look, Phil, this, this passage... Is the prophet speaking about himself or someone else? A very good question. A very astute question. This was a, this was uh, the, this Ethiopian. You know, you don't get to be treasurer if you're dumb. He was an, an educated man, and he was saying, "I've got a, a question. Is is this prophet here, Isaiah? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else?" Now, if you ask a rabbi, who is he talking about, himself or someone else? You know what the rabbi will say? The rabbi will say, you go over to, um, the, to Isaiah, turn back a bit earlier, to Isaiah chapter... 49, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 3, Isaiah 49, 3, and the rabbi will say to you, and he said unto me, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified, and he said, that's who he's talking about, my servant, Israel, the nation, the people, the righteous ones in Israel, that's who he's talking about. Now, that's where he would have heard the rabbi say, but he would have looked at it and he'd gone, no, you know, that really doesn't fit. Because how do the righteous redeem the unrighteous? How do the righteous suffer for the unrighteous? Doesn't, doesn't fit. So what does Philip do? Philip, there in, in Acts, says... He began it says in verse 35 and Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus he preached unto him Jesus what he is saying is <coughs> this is what this is the one who fits. Now, if you have a look at that, verse 2, in, in, uh, you can stick there in, in, in Isaiah 53. You have a look. In verse 2, as a result of the beating from the Romans, there was no beauty in him that we should desire and that we should look at him. 
Then, in verse 3, he was rejected by his own people. There he is, despised and rejected. Verse 4, he hath borne our griefs and carried our, star- our sorrows. We are to esteem him smitten of God because being crucified according to the law of Moses meant you were struck by God, that you were cursed by God. In verse 5, it says that he had done no wrong but suffered for others. In verse 6, that he did it as the result of our sin. In verse 7, we have the silence that he had before Pilate and Herod mentioned. In verse 8, that his death came after he was removed from a prison. In verse 9, that he was buried with the with that he died with the wicked, yet was buried with the rich. In verse 10, that this was done with the express knowledge and plan of God. In verse 11, that this satisfied the requirements of a holy and just God. In verse 12, that he will be returning in glory. So he took Isaiah 53 and he preached to him, he said, Jesus is the one that fits this passage. Now I said I'd be saying why you shouldn't get baptised. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament, if you don't believe that he fulfills the prophecies of Isaiah, if you don't believe that he suffered and died for your sin, don't get baptised. Don't do it. It's the wrong thing to do and you should not do it. If you do not believe that Jesus died for your soul to to rescue you from sin, don't get baptized. It's not proper. It's not correct. You shouldn't do it. So if you don't believe, if you don't believe that Jesus died for your sin, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, don't get baptized. There you go. What doth hinder you to be baptized? If you don't believe that's a hindrance to baptize, you should baptism, you shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Stay away. Now, the next thing is, they're on their way, and the eunuch says in verse 36, See, here is water. Now, once again, I love those boys from the who, who did the uh, uh, the, the King James you see those two little words in italics where it goes see here is they're not actually in the Greek they're not actually there those words in italics they're, they're just put in to make the grammar a bit better Okay, they're put in just to make, make it sound a bit simpler to our ear so literally what this guy said they're going along in the chariot and he goes look water That's exactly what he says. Look, water. Why can't I be baptised? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, he's passed the first thing. He believes. But there's another reason not to get baptised. What do you reckon he saw? What, What water do you think he saw? A puddle? 
What's he going to see? He's going to see a big pool of water, an oasis of some sort. If there's not enough water, don't get baptised. If there's not enough water, don't do it. Now, this, this gets to an important thing. Why did they need to find a big pool of water before he could get baptised? Does it matter? Does it matter how much water you use? Now, this is, this is a lovely story. There was a young lady who I knew many years ago and she was attending the youth group in our church I went to and uh, she got saved. She was about 14, I think, 14 years old. And she actually lived in a residential home run by the mission of St. James and St. John, an Anglican mission. And uh, she'd had a pretty, pretty terrible family life. And so the good people at the mission of St. James and St. John were looking after her. And doing a very good job too. She had, you know, three square meals a day and a place, safe place to sleep, and all credit to them, they were they were taking care of her. She got saved and she wanted to get baptized. Oh dear, here she is. She's attending a Baptist church youth group, living in a Church of England home. So she went to the. Uh, minister in charge of the Church of England uh, home and she said, I want to get baptised. Ah, he says. And this was a bit of a problem for him. And so then he, he said, you know, it doesn't matter how much water there is. And she goes, really? He says, yes, absolutely. It, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. And she says, you, you honestly believe that? He said, oh, Absolutely. She said, good, in that case we get baptised by immersion. If it doesn't matter, <laughs> which sort of left him in a bit of a predicament, having said it didn't matter, that there was no difference, well, she wisely chose immersion, and she did. So does it matter? Does it matter how much water you use? The, the unit, Ethiopian eunuch went, look, here's lots of water. Why couldn't they have just stopped and, you know... When he believed and Philip got out the water bottle and bought a bag, you know, he would have had like a bag and did it matter? Does it matter? This, this baptism thing, I've got, first thing we need to understand is Baptists didn't invent baptism. Okay? Christians didn't invent baptism. You know that? Christians didn't invent baptism. Okay? Have a look over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 22. And after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, 
And there he tarried with them and baptised. And John also was baptising in Anion near Salim because there was much water there. Ah. John chose this place to do his baptising because there was a lot of water there. So John... Uh, baptised by immersion. In fact, if you look in the... and understand what he was doing, look in the first chapter of, of Mark. First chapter of Mark. Starting from the far start of the chapter. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem. And they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So what was John doing? John was baptizing and it was called a baptism of repentance. John was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people would come to him and they'd say, John, you're right. You're absolutely right. I've been living a terrible life. I have not been living according to the, the dictates of, of the law of Moses. I've been, been totally away from God. And the, I want to come back to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and be ready for the Messiah when he shows up. And John said, good, now let's prove it and let's show everybody that you mean it and we'll go down and we'll baptise you. Okay? He was doing it. They were doing it as a proof of the change of heart that had already happened to them. And you think, well, where did he get that idea from? Did John the Baptist invent baptism? Not really. If you look back in the, um, in the, the rabbinical teachings, in the teachings of, the, of the, the law, the priests were to wash themselves before they served after certain cleansings and times of purification you were to wash yourself and any person who wanted to become Jewish after doing certain sacrifices needed to go and immerse themselves in a, a ceremonial bath called a mikvah. So everybody who became Jewish, if you like, was baptised, immersed, in a mikvah. In fact, we, we store some of these around um, the temple area. In fact, they got them all over. You find them all over in, in Israel. These mikvahs, they're they're about oh, about as wide as, as that usually. This the strip here, about as long. There's a set of steps going down, a set of steps coming up. Water in the bottom. You go down, go under, come out. Ever wondered how they baptised 3,000 people in Jerusalem after the first church meeting? They used the mikvahs. Everybody would have understood exactly what they were doing. 
So, the concept of baptism as a ceremony was already well established. So, what's the difference we're doing? What we're doing is we are giving it a special symbolic meaning. Okay? A special symbolic meaning. When John baptised unto repentance, he was saying, you've repented of your sins, you want to live the life that God intends you to live, you want to be ready for the Messiah. As proof of that, you get baptised to show everybody that you're serious about this. For a Christian, baptism is a picture. Look over in Romans chapter 6. Baptism is a picture. It is a an object lesson. You ever do object lessons with the kiddies in, in primary in, in Sunday school, church? Object lessons. Oh look, here's an apple. Look what we can do with this. Oh look, let's make a card for <coughs> mum and dad. Look, the card's got things in it. Object lessons for kids. Makes the lesson easy to understand because they can see it. To make the lesson easy for us to understand, God gave us an object lesson. It's called baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not. Now, just by the way, anytime Paul ever says, know ye not, you know what that means? That's Paul's Paulese for saying, haven't I already taught you guys this once already and you've forgotten? He's saying, I told you this when I was there. Or this has already been taught to you once. And you're not getting the, 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 the message through. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." It's a picture. It's an object lesson. It's a demonstration. As he died literally, we will die figuratively. In a picture. As he was buried literally, so we will be buried in a picture. As he was raised from the dead literally, so we will be raised figuratively. Okay? It's a picture. Real simple picture. Dead, buried, resurrected. Same as Jesus was. Dead, buried, resurrected. Picture. We do the picture. He did the real. You can't do that with a sprinkle. Doesn't work. Because there's no picture there. If there's not enough water, don't get baptised. If there's not enough water, don't do it. Why? Because there's no picture there. 
It's not right. So there are two reasons why you should not get baptised. Incidentally, credit where it's due. Our, uh, shall we say, colleagues, it's the best I can do, colleagues in the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, they may baptise babies, but they do it by immersion. Why? Because they understand the picture. Okay, speaking about baptising babies. A baby can't understand the first bit. Baby can't understand the gospel. So, doesn't fulfil the, the first requirement for being baptised. Now, oh, what about babies being baptised in the, in the Bible? Uh, yeah, okay, let's have a look at it. Now, most people will put you there to uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, Acts chapter 16. You know, uh, Acts chapter 16. The story of the Philippian jailer. Acts chapter 15, verse 35, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing all the prisoners had fled but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying do thyself no harm for we were all here and he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said unto them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in all thy house. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptised, he and all his, straight away. And they say, See, he and all his, the whole family, including the kids. But um, don't you realise that this guy was actually a red-haired Irishman with a Greek wife and that all the kids were at the grandparents of that day? You go, that's not in there. Well, it's in the same verse that says there are any children there. There's no mention of children there. All his house actually probably refers to all his servants, both free and bond. They were, all, they were also considered all his house. So he pre the word was preached to all in the house, including the servants. And all in the house believed, and all in the house were baptised. That's what people point to saying, oh, we'll see your children got baptised. It actually proves now that they didn't get baptised. You don't baptise children because they don't understand. You don't baptise with a sprinkle because there's not enough water. Here's an interesting thing. Philip. They made Phil back in with the Ethiopian. Was he an apostle? Was Philip an apostle? No. No. What was his, what was his position in the church? Did he have a title? 
He was a deacon. He was a deacon, yeah. Was he the Reverend Philip? I don't think so. You know, a church can delegate anybody it wants to do the baptism, baptizing. Anybody it wants to. Because the measure of the truth or the genuineness of a baptism has nothing to do with the person doing the baptizing. It has everything to do with the heart and soul of the person being baptized. That's the important thing. I, I heard one person try and tell me one time that unless you were baptized by a person who was baptized by a person who was baptized by a person, all the way back to John the Baptist, and it didn't really count. And I thought, what have you been smoking and where can I get some? That's just really strange. Strange. No. The important thing about a baptism is the heart of the person being baptised. If your heart's not right, don't do it. Don't do it. What doth hinder you to be baptised? If you don't believe... If you don't believe that Jesus died for your sins. If you don't believe that you need to be saved, if you don't believe that he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, if you don't believe that he died on a cross for you, don't get baptised. If there's not enough water so that you can demonstrate the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and do a, go through a picture of that to show everybody that you're identifying with him that you have been dead to sin and you've been raised in newness of life. If there's not enough water to do that, don't get baptised. Don't do it. Fortunately, we have a bunch of people here who believe that. We have a bunch of people who've declared that they do believe that Jesus died for their sins. We have a bunch of people who do believe that, 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 they've, been res that they've been raised into newness of life by the power of the Spirit of God. They do believe that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. They do believe that they're on their way to heaven. And, fortunately... We have an entire swimming pool full of water, so there's heaps to do it. To show the picture, to demonstrate what's been done in these people's lives. What doth hinder you to be baptised? If you don't believe, you're not, you shouldn't get baptised. There's not enough water, you shouldn't get baptised. But if you do believe, and if there is enough water, well, then nothing hinders you from being baptised. And we're going to see that today. Thank you.